Ana Montes joined the Defense Intelligence Agency in 1985 as an entry-level research specialist. She quickly became a highly decorated intelligence analyst. She was a rising star. She was considered a subject matter expert on Latin American affairs, in particular about Cuba. In the intelligence community, and especially at DIA, she became known as the Queen of Cuba. On the morning of September 21st, 2001, agents from the FBI came to the headquarters of the Defense Intelligence Agency in Washington, D.C., and arrested her for conspiracy to commit espionage. Under the terms of the plea agreement, Ms. Montes now faces 25 years imprisonment to be followed by five years of supervised release. Ms. Montes committed espionage for the Cuban Intelligence Service since 1985. She compromised both secret and top secret classified information relating to the national defense, as well as the identities of four U.S. intelligence officers. This is DIA Connections. It's not that easy to spot them. Spies don't have great big green dots in the middle of their foreheads to make it easy to identify them. They look just like you and me. And they act just like you and me. And they're just like Ana Montes, who is a model employee. They are feeling they've solved all their life problems. This is an adventure. It's exciting. It's interesting. Then there is the morning after stage. That's the stage of remorse. That's the stage signified by the statement, what was I thinking? We're not deceived because the people who are deceiving us are somehow brilliant and duplicitous and capable of hoodwinking us. No, it's because of our own inherent weaknesses. We are entrusted in the intelligence community with some unique responsibilities. And that somebody would violate that trust was disappointing, frustrating, and disgusting. Some thoughts from our guests on this episode of DIA Connections. We're calling this one Hiding in Plain Sight. On the first floor of the Defense Intelligence Agency headquarters in Washington, D.C., is our sparkling new museum. Any questions on this before we move on? Okay, follow me over here, please. Exhibits highlight the proudest moments in the 60-year history of the agency. One of those exhibits features a great intelligence triumph, which occurred in our infancy in 1962. That's when DIA analysts discovered that the Soviet Union had put nuclear missiles on the island of Cuba. There is little doubt that the Soviet Union did embark upon a bold venture to establish clandestinely a major offensive weapons base in the Western Hemisphere. That moment in time stands in recognition as one of DIA's best. But how ironic is it that just a few feet away is another display that also involves Cuba, but represents one of DIA's worst moments. Three large panels are prominently devoted to the nefarious actions of Ana Montes. On one of them is a quote from Chris Simmons, a former counterintelligence supervisor. It reads, she willfully and intentionally took every action she could to get Americans killed in combat. It should make us all enraged.
At the Defense Intelligence Agency, our mission is to gather intelligence on foreign militaries to prevent and decisively win wars. But when it came to Ana Montes, intelligence was going in the wrong direction. It was going out to an adversary. From the moment she set foot in the building in 1985, Ana Montes was a spy working on behalf of the Cuban government. But who was Ana Montes? And why was it so difficult to detect her? We spoke with a psychiatrist that's researched and interviewed insider spies. And DIA historian Paul Isaacson had a very interesting conversation with best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell about the challenges we all face in determining when a stranger is being truthful. But before we go there, we begin right here at the Defense Intelligence Agency. I'm Drew Winneberger. I was the chief of the counterintelligence and security activity at DIA. And my responsibility included all aspects of security related to a DIA, from the personnel to the facilities, equipment, defense attache offices overseas, and then the counterintelligence mission, which was to uh, prevent uh, foreign intelligence services from compromising our operations. Drew served in that capacity during the years when Ana Montes was working for us and working for them. You can have as strong of guns, gates, and guards, as we used to call it. But that's irrelevant if you've got an insider that just can walk through that in an authorized fashion and, and do you know, nefarious activities on behalf of a foreign actor. The Defense Intelligence Agency trusts employees with security clearances that grant them access to highly sensitive information, facilities, and materials. In order to prevent and expose insider threats, DIA employs a series of sophisticated protocols to detect changes in behavior or adherence to anti-U.S. ideologies or unexplained affluence. The job of a counterintelligence officer is to detect and identify, assess, exploit, counter, and neutralize the damaging efforts by foreign entities. Drew, thanks for joining us. And let me begin by asking you what steps can be taken when we're trying to determine if a teammate is really playing for the other side. From a security education standpoint, we always tell the workforce to look out for certain characteristics that may may indicate somebody is a bad player, and that is unexplained affluence. Are they spending lavishly on a personal lifestyle that's not consistent with their income? Do they have an alcohol problem? Do they come into work early when no one's there, or do they stay late after everyone's left? So, you know, we, we try to put out uh, indicators that we hope you know, the workforce would respond to if they had anybody in their midst doing that. So uh, to the degree that somebody doesn't exhibit any of those indicators, it becomes a problem. My worst fear was an insider who was displaying none of those indicators. Of course, her co-workers weren't aware of her treasonous activities, and we now know that she was a very private person and kept to herself most likely in an effort to maintain her anonymity. So Drew, without those clear red flags, how do you catch someone? It's extremely difficult because what you're relying on is, you know, the initial vetting, which is the background investigation that's done, which is fairly extensive. With her, and and I think she's unique if you look back on the history of espionage, or recent history of espionage, she was motivated by ideology. She was not motivated by money. So in, unless she gets very bold in her beliefs publicly or you know, with her coworkers, it's, it's really difficult. 
Difficult? Yes. Impossible? No. In 2020, Henry Kyle Fries, who was employed by DIA as a counterterrorism analyst, was sentenced to 30 months in prison for leaking classified information to two journalists. Defendant Henry Kyle Fries was entrusted with top secret information. He allegedly violated that trust, the oath he swore to uphold, and engaged in dastardly and felonious conduct at the expense of our country. So just how dangerous was Ana Montes to our nation's security? How harmful was she? I want you to listen to Michelle Van Cleve. Ms. Van Cleve was the first person to serve as the statutory head of U.S. counterintelligence. She was appointed National Counterintelligence Executive by President George W. Bush in 2003. She was responsible for leading and integrating the counterintelligence activities of the Uniformed Military Services, the FBI, CIA, the Justice Department, and other federal organizations. Here she is speaking at a House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee hearing a few years after Ana Montes was arrested. The damage assessment from Ana Montes uh, was accomplished and completed on my watch when I was in office. And I can tell you that she is one of the most damaging spies that the United States has ever, has ever found. After 16 years of spying on behalf of Cuba, she compromised everything, virtually everything, about that we knew about Cuba and how we operated in Cuba and against Cuba. Ms. Cleve went on to say that, quote, it is also likely that the information she passed contributed to the death and injury of American and pro-American forces in Latin America. Ana Montes's brother and sister both worked for the FBI. She even had a boyfriend that worked at the Pentagon. His specialty was in Latin American intelligence. Part of his job was to find spies like his girlfriend. Not one of them knew what she was really up to. The level of her deception is almost incomprehensible. So why would a person who has been placed in a position of trust then betray that trust and engage in espionage? Why bring shame to their family and harm their country? For answers, we spoke with someone who studied insider spies, psychiatrist Dr. David Charney. Dr. Charney's interest was to better understand the mind of the insider spy for the sake of strengthening our national security. And in the process, he developed a greater understanding of the reasons someone might, as he puts it, cross over. Dr. Charney, my first question would be, did they think betraying their country would somehow be a solution to their problems? They do see it as a big solution. I think of it sometimes as an epiphany that suddenly everything makes sense They connect the dots of all the unpleasantness and negativity in their life, and they see the solution to it as being so clear, so brilliant, that if they only did this one act, namely crossing over, then there would be many solutions to all the parts of their life with which they were dissatisfied. Are there specific character traits shared by most, if not all, I started to develop uh, a knowledge of their uh, psychology, and I came out to start with with a a one-sentence formulation of what I saw in all the cases. An intolerable sense of personal failure as privately defined by that person. 
Now, I have to underscore that most spies, not all, but most, are men. So that fit in very nicely with what we know about male psychology, which is that men have a huge need to preserve their pride and their dignity. And if they feel that they're not making it, that they're not successfully dealing with life, and they feel like a failure, then it tips them over in some cases to be able to consider this terrible choice. How deeply rooted is this? What I'm asking is, can these negative feelings begin in childhood and put someone on this path? Is that the starting point? Well, the starting point, you put your finger on it, is not one of these spies is a happy person. But they also might be animated by some very strong passions and feelings that maybe got seeded in the earliest years of their life, say within their family, if they had unpleasant negative experiences. Now, not that that's determinative, but it just sets the stage. Ana Montes was born in Puerto Rico. Her family moved frequently before settling in a suburb of Maryland. She was the oldest of four children. Her father, Alberto, was a respected army doctor and had his own psychiatric practice. From the outside looking in, things appeared to be ordinary. But was it? This is what Montez said to CIA psychologists about her father. He happened to believe that he had the right to beat his kids. He was the king of the castle and demanded complete and total obedience. And her sister said... We got it with the belt when he got angry. If you have uh, a father that is abusive, whether verbally or physically, and that creates in you a sense of injustice and fury and anger, uh, and that lives within you, and you're always fighting those battles, even though you don't realize it, into your adulthood, then if somebody frames a recruitment in terms of you can help us push back against abusive powers in the world, then there's an alignment that you see that matches up with your original complaint and sense of injustice. In 1984, Montez held a clerical job at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. She spoke openly against the U.S. government's policies towards Central America. She developed a hatred for the Reagan administration's support of the Contras, the rebels fighting the communist Sandinista government in Nicaragua. Here's President Ronald Reagan. My fellow Americans, I must speak to you tonight about a mounting danger in Central America that threatens the security of the United States. With over a billion dollars in Soviet blockade, the communist government of Nicaragua has launched a campaign to subvert and topple its democratic neighbors. Montez perceived the United States as a big bully, imposing its will on weaker countries. This became her cause. First it was Nicaragua, then it was Cuba. Using Nicaragua as a base, the Soviets and Cubans can become the dominant power in the crucial corridor between North and South America. The CIA's psychological report profile for Anna stated that the abuse she suffered at the hands of a temperamental man she associated with the U.S. military increased her vulnerability to recruitment by a foreign intelligence service. 
That temperamental man was her father. Her opinions on Central American politics made her someone that would be sympathetic to a cause, an ideal candidate to be recruited as an agent by Cuban intelligence. She met with them, and when she started working at the Defense Intelligence Agency in 1985, she was a fully recruited spy. And that's the job of any recruiter, is to figure out how are you wired, what are your thoughts and your feelings about things, so that they can create a rationale that they can sell you on to join their cause. Here again is Drew Winneberger, DIA's former chief of counterintelligence. The usual modus operandi for a, a spy is they receive tasking from their handler, whether it's Russian, Chinese, whatever it is, and they respond to that tasking. The best we could determine, Anna Montez, I think, actually ignored any tasking from Cuban intelligence. She had her own idea of what information would be of value to them. So she wasn't just passing everything she had access to, but she was picking information that uh, supported her theory, if you will, that our administration policy towards Cuba was inaccurate. You can hear the ideological overtones in the statement she made at her sentencing. She said, Your Honor, I engaged in the activity that brought me before you because I obeyed my conscience rather than the law. I believe our government's policy towards Cuba is cruel and unfair, profoundly unneighborly, and I felt morally obligated to help the island defend itself from our efforts to impose our values and our political system on it. My way of responding to our Cuba policy may have been morally wrong. Perhaps Cuba's right to exist free of political and economic coercion did not justify giving the island classified information to help it defend itself. I can only say that I did what I thought right to counter a grave injustice. Anna Montez would would superficially fall into the ideological category because when you read what she said and wrote, it all appears to be very high-minded rationales for needing to protect Cuba, the David that was trying to fight back against the Goliath of the United States. It was all very high-sounding and high-minded, and that makes it into an ideologically flavored reason or rationale. Montes never risked taking highly classified secret documents or electronic files out of the building. Instead, she memorized details, and when she got home, she typed them from memory into her laptop. Next, she copied her typed information onto encrypted disks. Then she'd receive coded instructions via a shortwave radio she kept in her bedroom closet about where to hand over the disks to her Cuban contacts, who she would meet at restaurants in Washington, D.C. Dr. Charney, is it conceivable that insider spies experience some sort of sense of euphoria as a result of their actions? They do experience a euphoria and a high temporarily, and now their life is rather exciting uh, for a while. They're learning tradecraft. They are feeling, by God, they've solved all their life problems. This is an adventure. It's exciting. It's interesting. Then there is the morning after stage, 
That's the stage of remorse. That's the stage signified by the statement, what was I thinking? And that's when things start to change because they begin to appreciate what they've chosen to do has them stuck and trapped. One of her statements made to the FBI during months of debriefing after her arrest describes the feeling of being trapped. She said, I was finally ready to share my life with someone but was leading a double life, so I did not feel I could live happily. I'm a human being with needs that I couldn't deny. I thought the Cubans would understand. After a short break, we'll hear from the DIA investigator that questioned Ana Montes. And historian Paul Isaacson speaks with author Malcolm Gladwell to get his thoughts about the challenges and pitfalls in finding spies. This is DIA Connections. Freedom. Diversity. Equality. Democracy. Prosperity. Community. Life. Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. Principles that are the heart of our country. Principles that the Defense Intelligence Agency is committed to safeguarding. Breaking new details about North Korea's missile launch. Russia test firing its new intercontinental ballistic missile nicknamed Satan-2. The international situation is the most complex and demanding that I have seen in all my years of service. We have taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We speak truth to power and safeguard the information with which we have been entrusted. We do this to protect the freedoms of all Americans, our allies, and future generations around the world. Committed to excellence in defense of the nation, D.I.A. Welcome back to DIA Connections. We continue our discussion about insider spy Ana Montez with author Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell has five New York Times bestsellers, and his most recent book is Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. He asserts that because we don't know how to talk to strangers, we are inviting misunderstandings that have a profound effect on our lives and our world. One of the chapters in the book is about Montez and why, despite troubling warning signs, the DIA failed to detect her as a Cuban mole. Before we get to the conversation Gladwell had with DIA historian Paul Isaacson, here he is on why he chose to write about Montez. I'm obsessed with spies. (laughs) I've read every spy novel. I like to joke that if a novel has been written with the word spy in it in the last 50 years, I have read it. I just loved the story. I just think I just thought it was a fascinating story. And I wanted for years I'd been looking for a way to talk about that case. And then it seemed to fit so perfectly into the themes of of my book that that's why I I sort of went back and and uh, and retold it. Montez has been called one of the most damaging spies in U.S. history, which puts her in dubious company with Aldrich Rick Ames, a former CIA officer turned KGB double agent who was convicted of espionage in 1994. Here's Paul with Gladwell as he offers up a stark comparison between Ames and Montez. 
So, Malcolm, do you think that her stellar reputation at the Defense Intelligence Agency paved the way for her to be a successful spy? Interesting question. I was thinking about this on my drive into work this morning. So you have her, the, the counterpart to Anna Montez is Aldrich Ames. Ames, in contrast to her, is incompetent, right? He's got a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. He's like throwing his money around. He has terrible performance reviews. She, on the other hand, is more than competent. She was legitimately really good at her job and everyone around her realizes that and she there's not a whiff of impropriety or sloppiness or anything in, in her work the way there was with Aldrich James. And I was trying to think, so you have two mechanisms here. In the case of Ames, it's possible we were distracted by his incompetence. We couldn't believe that anyone who was such a mess could actually be working for the Soviets. I mean, I can imagine that psychological, on an unconscious level, those around him just thinking, whatever master spy is lurking in our midst can't be Rick. Right. right. You know, Rick's a mess, <laughs> right? So right. in Anna Monta's case, she's the opposite. But I also think there's probably an opposite narrative that you could construct, which would be, how could someone who is so clearly committed to doing her job and committed to this organization betray us? You know, someone who works this hard, who is this dedicated, who is this conscientious, who is this insightful, it would take an, it take an, it takes an act, a huge act of imagination to imagine that somebody would invest that much of their thought and intelligence and time and care into a job only to be secretly betraying everything that they believe in. We'll construct a narrative to defend default to truth, regardless of the facts. You know, we'll always seize on something to justify our continued belief that people are who they say they are. Why are we so bad at detecting lies? Gladwell makes the case that our operating assumption is that the people we are dealing with are honest. He calls it default to truth. We start by believing, and we stop believing when our doubts and misgivings rise to the point where we can no longer explain them away. We'll get back to Malcolm Gladwell in a couple of minutes, but keep in mind what he said about default to truth. You believe someone not because you have no doubts about them. You believe someone because you don't have enough doubts about them. Now let's listen to someone whose job was to collect as many doubts as possible. Ordinarily, she would not have been discovered because Anna appeared to be such a model employee. Uh, She's not the kind of person that people like me typically look for. That's Scott Carmichael, speaking fittingly enough from the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., a few years after Montez was arrested. Carmichael was the lead counterintelligence investigator for the Defense Intelligence Agency at the time. Here's a quote from him, and I really like it. Hunting for spies is like trying to find a ghost in the fog. I look for problem people. That's what I'm trained to look for. And Anna was not a problem child. She was the analyst that was emulated by others. On a Sunday morning in February of 1996, Anna Montez was summoned to the Pentagon for an emergency meeting. The reason was due to an event that occurred the previous day, an event that became an international crisis. 
It happened in the sky between Miami and Havana. That's cockpit audio of Cuban fighter jets shooting down two small American planes. President Bill Clinton. Two days ago, in broad daylight and without justification, Cuban military aircraft shot down two civilian planes in international airspace. A group out of Miami used the planes to drop leaflets over Havana and to track thousands of Cubans fleeing the regime of Fidel Castro on anything that would float. The planes were shot down, killing all four people on board. These small airplanes were unarmed, and clearly so. Cuban authorities knew that. The planes posed no credible threat to Cuba's security. When Montez was summoned to the Pentagon the very next day, a co-worker described her behavior as unusual. She broke protocol by failing to remain on duty until being dismissed. That's not the sort of thing a subject matter expert would do during a crisis. And that's when a co-worker, who was well aware of the intelligence failures the U.S. was experiencing with Cuba, and who also had reasons to believe she might somehow be connected to the shootdown of the planes, took his suspicions to lead counterintelligence investigator Scott Carmichael. It's not that easy to spot them. Spies don't have great big green dots in the middle of their foreheads to make it easy to identify them. They look just like you and me. And they act just like you and me. And they're just like Ana Montes, who is a model employee. Here again is author Malcolm Gladwell. Carmichael's in a situation where he is bringing the accusation of treason. If he starts to air it and fling that accusation around, he has imperiled not just her career, but if he's wrong, his career. So, you know, it's understandable that, you know, this is the psychological dynamic in which spies thrive because the crime is so profoundly serious. The more serious the penalty for the crime, the more cautious we are in accusing someone of a crime. That's part of the irony of this, right, is that the more serious it is, perhaps the worse we get at this or the more we fail at this. Yes, I think. And I think, and by the way, I'm not sure on balance that's a bad thing. If we were as human beings reckless in the way we threw around really, really, really dangerous accusations, I don't want to live in that world, nor do you. He knows that if he is belligerent and deeply suspicious towards her, it doesn't work in the long term. People won't work at the DIA if they devote their lives to a cause and then they're treated with belligerence and paranoia when something goes awry, right? It's like, it is this really delicate balance that someone like that has to strike. Scott Carmichael set up a meeting with Montez for what she believed was a routine security check. But it wasn't. Here's how it went down. When she first came in, she says, Jay, I really hope this isn't going to take a lot of time. Uh, you know, I just named acting division chief. I have a lot of new duties. Yada, yada, yada. Not a problem. This won't take long. And typically that works. That usually works. But it didn't work with Anna. Uh, even before I actually sat down at that point, she hit me with it again. She says, yeah, but I got I to gotta tell you, I really am busy. I've got some other things. And, you know, I might be able to give you 20 minutes, but that's going to be about it. I say is, well, great. Look, if you really don't have enough time for today, we'll just reschedule. Not a problem. So what I said, well, okay, okay, good, good. I sat down. And I thought, well, that's that. 
But then she hit it with me a third time. She looks at her watch and she says, but listen, I'm out of here at 10 to 2. By this time, my frustration level is about up to here, and I've just about had it with this very assertive person. So what I needed to do is I needed to get her attention and get her to focus on my job and get her to sit down and be quiet. And so what I said to her was words to the effect of look on him. Uh, this is not just a routine interview. I'm not doing a background investigation. I don't do that. I'm a counterintelligence investigator. I investigate espionage. And I have reason to believe that you might have been involved in a Cuban intelligence influence operation. I've been watching you for some time, and we need to talk about that. My objective was to get her to focus and to shut up. And boy, did that ever work. I mean, I, I hit it right between the eyes with it, not realizing that it was the truth. And it just stunned her. It just, pow, just like that. And, of course, for the next few minutes, I was patting myself on the back. Boy, you did a good job there. You got her to be quiet. But what I didn't pick up on at the time was the fact that she never once said, no, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? What do you say? You think I did what? That's what an innocent person usually does. Anna never did that. She just sat there stunned, staring at me, studying every move that I was making, every word that was coming out of my mouth. She was so focused on me. I thought, well, I got her attention. Well, I guess I did. Here again is DIA historian Paul Isaacson with Malcolm Gladwell. We don't prefer to catch somebody in a big lie like that, do we? I mean... It's easier for us also if we can believe them, right? As opposed to thinking they're lying. That's what we do as human beings. That's part of what social interaction is. It's why the job of being a counterintelligence officer or a police officer is so insanely difficult. I came away from writing the book with just unbelievable respect for people in various aspects of law enforcement or national security work, because we're asking people to do something that is contrary to human nature. It's really, I mean, once you realize that, it's just a phenomenally difficult task we've given them. Eventually, Carmichael asked Montez a long list of questions about her erratic behavior that day at the Pentagon. And to him, it seemed as though she was being honest, but still, something was not quite right. She gave me great answers to my questions, but she left me with a nagging feeling. I mean, a truly a nagging feeling. I felt that she was not just withholding something from me, but she was very concerned about it. And during the course of that interview, I developed a gut feeling that there was something wrong here I needed to pay attention to. Legally, there was no place for me to go, though. I couldn't uh, arrest her. I had no evidence. So we just kind of let it go. DIA's initial and incorrect assessment was that Montez seemed like an unlikely suspect. But that didn't stop Carmichael from pursuing his hunches. Once again, here's Drew Winneberger, former chief of counterintelligence at DIA and Scott Carmichael's boss. Scott saved the day on this because it took his efforts to convince the FBI that we had a person that fits some of the general parameters of an individual that they were concerned with. He could just as easily not address that. I mean, but he was he was dogged, I believe, in his belief that 
she she was the one the FBI was looking at, and he persisted through his efforts. She was apprehended. Malcolm, at one point you say in your book something along the lines of, Ana Montez was not a master spy. She didn't have to be. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that? We're not deceived because the people who are deceiving us are somehow brilliant and duplicitous and capable of hoodwinking us. No, it's because of our own, own inherent weaknesses. It's a reflection on our inability to understand deception, not this particular skill of the deceiver. It is our persistent belief that somehow to be a successful spy, you need to be this kind of brilliant genius that I think leaves us so dangerously vulnerable. I think DIA behaved exactly as I would want them to behave, which is to say they defaulted to truth. When the evidence against her was incontrovertible, they acted. By August of 2000, evidence strongly suggested that Montez was a spy. That's when an FBI-DIA joint investigation began closely monitoring her movements. In 2001, FBI investigators found the evidence they needed on a computer in her bedroom apartment and in a pocketbook at her office desk. On September 21st, 10 days after the terrorist attacks on 9-11, the FBI arrested Ana Montez at DIA headquarters for conspiracy to commit espionage. The decision to arrest her on that particular day was not happenstance. The very next day, September 22nd, Montez was scheduled to be at the Pentagon, supporting Operation Enduring Freedom. She had been chosen for a team that would analyze bombed targets after the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. That would have given her access to Pentagon war plans. The fear that information would be sent to the Cubans and passed on to the Taliban was real and potentially catastrophic. Once again, here's Drew Winneberger. We arranged for her to be summoned to the IG's office under the pretense that the IG was investigating a time and attendance issue in her office and that perhaps she might have some information. The reality was the FBI was there waiting for her, so when she showed up, she was arrested and removed from the building. My immediate task, I had to uh, summon all of her co-workers to a conference room at the Defense Intelligence Analysis Center and tell them that their co-worker, Anna Montez, had just been arrested by the FBI for conspiracy to commit espionage. The reaction varied from tears to extreme anger, with the theme kind of being, how could she? She was part of our team. We socialized with her. She was involved in our activities. How could she do that? The first question I got from her co-workers is, are you sure? And I had to say, yes, I am sure, beyond doubt. Ana Boleyn Montez is serving her sentence in a maximum security prison in Texas, and she's scheduled to be released in 2023. If you want to find out more about the Defense Intelligence Agency as we celebrate our 60th anniversary, look for us on social media or go to dia.mil. And please, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to DIA Connections. Thanks for listening.